Good morning, everyone. Welcome to our service this morning. It's good to see you all here. Um, My name's Kate, for those of you who don't know me, though most of you probably do, but I'd like to introduce myself. I could have changed my name since last time, couldn't I? But I haven't. I'm still Kate, and I'd like to welcome you this morning. You were given a sticker, and it says some lovely things on it. Anyone here feel that they are loved this morning? Oh, I am. Anyone else? Wonderful. Anyone here feel that they are precious? Oh, that's brilliant. Anyone feel they're a wonderful, wonderful person? Who's a wonderful person? (gasps) Wonderful, wonderful. And who's valued? You're valued, Rose. You're valued. Steve's valued. Excellent. Anyone feel that they're loved because they've got a heart on them? Or that... Things are great because they've got thumbs up on them. Brilliant. You see, we've all got stickers which talk wonderful things about us. Some of you would have walked in and thought, oh yeah, I do feel valued today. I do feel loved. But others would have walked in and thought, oh, I feel a bit uncomfortable wearing this because I don't feel like a wonderful person or I don't feel that I'm precious. In fact, I feel quite the opposite this morning. But the reason you have these stickers is because as we walk in, this is how God sees us. This is what God thinks about us. However we feel when we walk in this morning, God says to us, you are loved by me. You are precious. You are valued. I think you're a wonderful person. It says this in the Bible, and I love this bit. It says, it says, this is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to die for us. This is love. Not that we come in and think, oh yes, I love God, but that as we walk in, God thinks, I love you, no matter how you feel. This morning I'm going to read from the book of Luke, the Gospel of Luke in the New Testament of the Bible. I'm going to read from chapter 4 and I'll start at verse 14. This is following Jesus being in the wilderness and then reappearing. Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit And news about him spread through the whole countryside. He was teaching in their synagogues and everyone praised him. He went to Nazareth where he had been brought up and on the Sabbath day he went into the synagogue as was his custom. He stood up to read and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it he found the place where it is written. The spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. 
He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. He began by saying to them, Today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. All spoke well of him and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his lips. Isn't this Joseph's son, they asked. Jesus said to them, surely you will quote this proverb to me, physician, heal yourself, and you will tell me, do here in your hometown what we have heard that you did in Capernaum. Truly I tell you, he continued, prophets are not accepted in their hometowns. I assure you that there were many widows in Israel in Elijah's time when the sky was shut for three and a half years and there was a severe famine throughout the land. Yet Elijah was not sent to any of them, but to a widow in Zarephath in the region of Sidon. And there were many in Israel with leprosy in the time of Elisha the prophet, yet not one of them was cleansed, only Naaman the Syrian. All the people in the synagogue were furious when they heard this. They got up drove him out of the town and took him to the brow of the hill on which the town was built in order to throw him off the cliff. But he walked right through the crowd and went on his way. You know, before I had children, I used to really love the month of September. I didn't really like August because although it was a lot quieter generally, everywhere you went, there were children. And everything you tried to go to was so much more expensive. So when I didn't have children, I thought August would just avoid everything, lay low, and then in September we'll go on holiday and have, you know, good time, things are cheaper, it's quiet. But, you know, since James's first year at school last year, I've really looked forward to August because it's the end of the school year and you get to spend six weeks with your children. You don't have to get up and do the school run and go off and leave them. You can be with them and you can enjoy time. And I particularly look forward to when we go on holiday. We normally try and get two weeks in the summer. And last year, we went down to the coast, to Devon. And I was so excited because I'd had to work most of August, even though the boys had been around, but we got two weeks. And we set off. And it was very exciting because the sun was shining. We were going to the seaside. Wonderful. Our excitement built. We were anticipating a great time and we got there. Everything was lovely. People were walking around with ice creams. It was so relaxed. We went to sleep, got up the next day. Sun was shining. Wonderful. I was so excited. We went to the beach. We threw a few pebbles in. We didn't go swimming because it was only the first day. We got two whole weeks. We just walked around went to sleep, I was so excited for the next day, woke up, misty, clouds rolling in, cold, windy, no chance of a beach day, woke up the next day, misty, clouds rolling in, torrential rain, woke up the next day the same, two whole weeks of rain, three days in, I could have just gone home. In fact, Simon and I had a discussion about, you know, whether we should actually just go because it's nicer at home when it's cold and wet. You know, I wasn't expecting that. I had this excitement and this anticipation of a wonderful holiday. And by the third day in, all my expectations had sunk 
like a stone. It was so disappointing. And you know, in a strange way, when I read Luke chapter 4, that passage about Jesus, I see the Jews who were listening to Jesus in the synagogue having a sort of similar experience to what I had, my expectations crushed. Because you see, here was Jesus, this person who had grown up among them. He'd grown up in Nazareth. They thought they knew him fairly well. He was someone who used to sit in the synagogue with them and listen to what was being said. He was a boy they had watched grow into a man. And here he was in this passage, coming back to be with them. And he wasn't just back for a quick visit to say hello to folks. He was back for a purpose, And not only that, he was back amid lots of rumours about him. There'd been rumours going on, strange rumours about his baptism and God speaking at his baptism and his trip into the wilderness and all sorts of funny things that had happened there. There'd been rumours about healings that he might have done and amazing teaching that he'd been giving. Rumours that indicated that Jesus wasn't the same boy that had left them a while ago, but he was someone new. And so you can imagine that as Jesus sat in the synagogue in Nazareth on that Sabbath, as was his custom, the place must have been really buzzing. The people must have been falling over themselves with anticipation and excitement. They were really looking forward to what was going to happen, wondering what Jesus would be like. What would he talk about? What would he say? Were these rumours true? How would he act? Would he be different to the person they had known? Was he really the one that people in Capernaum had been talking about recently? There must have been a buzz, an excitement, an anticipation. This was an event that people had been looking forward to. And then amid all this excitement, Jesus was handed a scroll, the scroll of the prophet Isaiah. And he stands in front of all those who had known him as a boy, and he begins to read... The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. Amid all this excitement, Jesus stands up in the synagogue, the heart of the Jewish community, and reads one of the most exciting passages in Jewish history. Now, whether this was the set reading for the day or not, we're not really sure. But this is what Jesus read. And as he read it, the expectation must have grown even higher. Because you see, this passage for the Jews was a very familiar passage. They'd heard it read over and over again. And more than that, they loved it. Because this was a passage that showed them their future, that pointed them towards what they were waiting for. This was a passage that painted the future that they'd been longing for, a future full of hope and freedom and redemption and release and delivery and rescue. It was a wonderful future. And what's more, it was a future that would be ushered in by the one who was pictured in the passage, the one the Jews had chosen to fix their eyes upon, the one who would come in power and might and ride in glory and would take away all their fear and all their problems the one who would finally sweep aside the Romans and set them free, the one that the Spirit of the Lord would be upon, the victorious Messiah. 
The Jews loved this passage. They really loved it because this was their future. And so when Jesus finished reading it and rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down, you can imagine the anticipation rising, the excitement getting even greater, the expectation. Because if rumour was true and Jesus was so different, what on earth was he going to say now? Well, as Jesus sat there, with everyone's eyes fixed upon him, he started by saying, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Or if you like, as heard through the Jewish ears that were listening that day, today this scripture is fulfilled in me. You can imagine the expectation plummet. The excitement turned to disappointment. What? What's he saying? Jesus is the Messiah. But he's Mary and Joseph's son. We grew up with him. We're just a little boy. What's he talking about? And then Jesus continues as the people are puzzled and quizzical and not really understanding. Jesus starts to explain. He starts to talk about Elijah and Elisha, great prophets of old, men who the Jews revered, men doing God's work among God's people. And he picks out a couple of interesting stories. Stories of Elijah and Elisha offering help to those outside of Israel. And the people listening started to get it. They suddenly started to realise what Jesus was talking about. And their eyes must have opened and their posture must have changed because in effect what Jesus was saying was, yes, the Messiah has come. Yes, the long-awaited one has finally arrived. And yes, he will come in power and authority and majesty and he will bring freedom and recovery of sight and wonderful prophecies. He will come to bring the long-awaited good news. But he's not come to crush your enemies and raise you up. Instead, just as Elijah and Elisha went outside of Israel to show God's love, so the Messiah has come to do the same. He's come to show God's mercy to all. He's come to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour to everyone. To everyone. Do you know, the Jews in Nazareth must have been crushed. Their anticipation and excitement and expectation had sunk like a stone. They were furious. They were absolutely furious. I mean, hold on. This was their God. This was the one they had been waiting for. This was the one they had been worshipping, that they had been longing for. And here he was, proclaiming that he'd come to rescue the wrong people. This isn't what they'd been told. This isn't what they'd been taught. This isn't what they had expected. This isn't how the prophecy was supposed to turn out. This wasn't right. How dare Jesus do this? How dare Jesus make God out to be so gracious, so gracious. And so in an attempt to make things right, to protect their community, to keep the good news of God hidden from those who didn't deserve it, the people of Nazareth took Jesus, the Messiah, the anointed one, and they tried to get rid of him. They tried to throw him off a cliff. People who profess to follow God, 
people who lived in the community of God, who followed the laws of God, who knew the character of God, attempted to kill Jesus so that they could smother the grace of God before anyone else could encounter it. Do you know, on one level, we might think, well, that's awful. Why would they do that? But on another level, it's quite familiar. In fact, it's scarily familiar. I was reading the book by Philip Yancey called What's So Amazing About Grace. I've read it a couple of times. I think it's a wonderful book. And if you haven't read it, do pick it up and have a read. But he tells this story that a friend told him, a friend of his who works with people who no one's interested in, in Chicago. And he told this story about this woman who had come to him, a prostitute who had been so riddled by drugs and she was homeless and she had a little two-year-old girl. And she'd come to this man and she told him about her life and she said, I have the most terrible thing to tell you. She said, to support my drug habit and to stay alive, I've been pimping out my daughter, my two-year-old daughter, to men because I can earn more money in an hour with her than I can in a week for me. And she said, I don't know what to do. I want to change, but I can't stop. And the man who was telling Philip Nancy's was horrified. First of all, he had to tell someone because, you know, it's legal and there's this little girl. But also he was horrified that a woman was living like this. And he talked to her for a bit. And then he said to her, well, have you ever thought about going to church? And she looked at him and she said, church? She said, why on earth would I go there? She said, I feel bad enough about myself as it is. They'll only make me feel worse if I go to church. And you know, it's an awful story. It's a terrible story. But the thing is, when Jesus was on earth, this woman and others like her would have been the type of people who rushed to him. This woman and others like her would have been the type of people who were attracted to him, who wanted to meet with him, who went to him for help. They would have been the type of people that Jesus would have welcomed with open arms. You only have to look in the Bible for a second to see this. Jesus, I mean, look, there was the hated tax collector who no one wanted to know, and Jesus went round and had dinner with him. There was the unclean woman who people had pushed to the edge of society because they didn't want to touch her, and he looked at her and he touched her and he called her daughter. There was the adulterous lady who people wanted to stone, and Jesus refused to judge her. There was the unheard beggar who cried out again and again, and Jesus listened. He didn't walk past. There was the dirty thief on a cross who had been tried and convicted, and everyone had said he was guilty. And Jesus forgave him, there and then. There are so many examples of people who Jesus welcomed to come to him, people who simply didn't deserve it, who were outside of the church, who were outside of the community. And the thing that makes Eve crazy is when they came to him, he welcomed them without question. He wasn't distracted by the hurt that they'd done to themselves or other people. He wasn't distracted by the mess they'd made of their lives, by how their lifestyle was. He wasn't distracted by the wrong they did or the problems they had or their status. He just welcomed them. He seemed so pleased to see them. This is the overwhelming picture of Jesus that we have in the Bible. And yet it's not always the overwhelming picture of the church that we have today amid the squabbles and the problems and the things that come out in the news all the time. 
And, you know, just like the Jews in Nazareth, maybe we think there's a good reason for that. Maybe people think the church should be the moral barometer of of the nation, or maybe we think we need the church community to be safe, so you can't just welcome anyone, because anything could happen. Or maybe we don't like the consequences of welcoming some people. Maybe on some level we think we want to keep control of a society that's sort of spinning out of control. But the thing is, as long as we cling on to these reasons, then we ultimately end up smothering the grace of God before it's had a chance to get out of these walls. Do you know, Simon's mum always tells a story when she helped out at scouts once, and they went on a scout camp, and she always tells a story of a little boy who was cooking a sausage. One of the scouts was cooking a sausage over a fire, and she said he just, like, shoved it into the middle of the fire, and it was, like, burning, you know. And he was like, brilliant, that's done. And he took it to the leader, and he said, look, I've cooked a sausage. And the leader picked it up, he went, that is brilliant. And he bit into it, and the middle was as pink as anything, and he munched on it, and he went, that is wonderful. Well done. What a brilliant thing you've done. And you know, every time I hear that story from Simon's mum, I think, oh, there's a number of things I would have said on that occasion. Like, for instance, you can make people really ill if you cook food like that. Maybe you should try a little bit harder. But, you know, that wouldn't be right in that situation. That little boy had tried so hard. And for him to come with such joy, if you were to crush it by pointing out all the wrong things, then, you know, that would just crush him. But to be received and accepted like that was wonderful. And, you know, that's the message of the passage in in this book of Isaiah, in the book of Luke. That's the problem the Jews had with Jesus. That's the grace of God. It's grace. It does not feel that it has to point out wrong. It does not feel that it has to put stipulations on people's lives. It doesn't demand change. It's grace. It accepts. It's real grace. Real, proper, good news for all people. Because the truth is that grace isn't what we want it to be. It's not always fair. It's not always controllable. It's not really very safe. It's good news. And it's of God. And it's for everyone. And what's more, it's the vision of how God's people should be. We should be a people full of grace. We are here to be a sign of God's grace in a world that doesn't even really know what that word means anymore. So we're here so people can look at us and go, that's grace, that's God, that's good news. Look at them and you will see. And you know, so as we seek to follow God as a community here in Cottenham, as we seek to live out his vision for the church, to be a people of grace, let's be a people who... As our vision says, and you can pick one up at the end if you've forgotten it, who communicate the love of God and make Jesus known. Not a people who just happen to meet on a Sunday, but people who communicate the love of God and make Jesus known so that people will see that the good news of Jesus is for everyone and that the year of the Lord's favour has arrived for all people. We're going to have a time of prayer in a moment, but we're going to do it a little bit differently. Well, 
So you might say it's different. You might say it's just another one of Kate's things. But what I'm going to do is pass out this basket around the church. And all I'd like you to do, if you want to, is take one of these gifts, because grace is a gift. See the link, see what I've done there? And a pen, if you haven't got a pen. And just in the quiet, as we listen to a song, I want you to write on it either a person or an area or a group of people who you think you'd like to realise God's grace, know God's grace in their life or in that area or in that place. Know that they're accepted and loved and welcomed so that that would transform them. And then you can take this, it's got a bit of string on, and you can pin it somewhere and it can remind you to keep asking for God's grace for that person. It could be you that you write on or it could be a situation in the world. Um, But just pass these round. And as they're passed round, and as we get pens and think, we're just going to listen to a song about God's grace and uh, think about what we've heard this morning. But as we go from here, or go into there from here, may we know God's grace surrounding us. May we know God walking with us. And may we have the courage to be people who live that out in front of others. May God surround us and keep us. Amen. Please be seated.